Daniel chapter 9, if you'll turn there. This is a good time to remember to turn your ringers off your phones. We want to get settled in our seats. I believe the Lord is going to bless us tremendously in our Bible study here today. Daniel chapter 9, we opened up this chapter last week. And keep in mind that as we did, Daniel uh, has been in captivity for nearly 70 years. And he has seen firsthand the mighty Babylonian empire that was led by Nebuchadnezzar fall eventually to the Medes and the Persians. And uh, we saw that in chapter 5 of the book of Daniel. And as Daniel is here, as we read it in the first year of Darius, the king of the Medes and the Persians, that Daniel is reading the prophecies of Jeremiah. Now, as the people had gone into captivity, as we know, and we're going to read, Daniel's going to say, we went into captivity because we sinned. We broke your covenant. And as they would go into captivity, the first wave of, of those being taken off into captivity to Babylon was Daniel and the choice men of Judah in 605 B.C. The second deportation or wave of captivity would happen in 597 B.C. And that's where a lot of the people were taken out of the land to Babylon, and then also Ezekiel was part of that deportation. So Ezekiel the prophet is in Babylon, he's prophesying. We have Daniel that's in the palace of Babylon, he's prophesying in amazing prophecies, and they would continue through the reign of the beginning of the Medes and the Persians. And then Jeremiah was in Jerusalem, and God had Jeremiah there speaking to the leaders, to the civil leaders, to the religious leaders, to turn back to the Lord and warning the civil leaders, do not rebel against Nebuchadnezzar because if you do, there's going to be death and destruction like you've never seen before. And Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. So the third time that Nebuchadnezzar came into Babylon, into Jerusalem, this time it was to destroy Jerusalem. They, they leveled Jerusalem. Uh, they destroyed Solomon's temple. And Jeremiah, he would begin his ministry in 626 B.C., in the 13th year of King Josiah. Now, Josiah was the last of the godly kings in Judah. And Josiah had brought spiritual reforms to the nation, as we discussed when we opened up the book of Daniel, that they were mostly reforms. It didn't really take place in the hearts of the people for the most part, because after Josiah dies there in the valley of Megiddo by the king of Egypt, Necho, uh, Pharaoh, he was killed up there the nation, the people went right back into idol worship. And so here is Jeremiah. He's ministering in Jerusalem during that time till 586 B.C. Then he would be taken off into Egypt and his ministry would end. As the people are in captivity, even though they had rebelled against the Lord, the Lord still had his prophets speaking to the people. He still had his remnant that was there. And as they are giving Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel here amazing prophecies. They would also give hope to the people of God. Matter of fact, Jeremiah was told by the Lord, I want you to write a letter to them. And I want you to tell them that they're going to be in captivity for 70 years. You see, the false prophets and teachers had come on the scene and told the people, oh, this captivity isn't going to last long, only a couple years. Nebuchadnezzar is going to go down. Nothing's going to happen to Jerusalem. Everything's going to be okay. But the Lord said, Jeremiah, you write a letter to them from me, 
you tell the people that when they are in captivity that they are to settle down, they're to have sons and daughters, they're to live peaceably with the people, and you tell them this, because the people would begin to think, is there any future, is there any hope for me? And I know that perhaps some of you are here today, you feel like that you're in a situation where you're just being held in captivity. It's very difficult. You're wondering, does the Lord see me? Does he care about me? And the word of the Lord to them is the word of the Lord to you today. That I know my thoughts toward you, says the Lord. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil. They give you a future and a hope. And so here they are in captivity. They're in Babylon. God's still working. He's still speaking to them. And Daniel knew that Jeremiah being a prophet, Jeremiah wrote that the captivity would be for 70 years. So here it is near the end of the 70 years of captivity. It prompted Daniel to pray. He sets his face towards the Lord as we read there in verse 3. And as he's praying, and we look at this prayer this morning, Daniel in verses 4 through 19, we can outline this prayer in this way. Verses 4 through 11, Daniel confesses the sins of the nation. In verses 11 through 15, Daniel gives God's justification for bringing this judgment and captivity to his people. And then in verses 16 through 19, he finally prays for God's mercy in his people. Daniel knew that God's word would be fulfilled. And it would bring him to his knees. Lord, we have sinned. Lord, you are a just God. You have warned us that if we broke your covenant, that we would experience judgment and captivity. And that's what's happened. And Lord, have mercy on us and have mercy on your people. And we read the scriptures today. And we read about the, the signs of the end and the events that are going to take place at the end of the age. And we see the things going on around us that speak of and point to the return of our Lord. And it should, and I know it does for many of us, to cause us to get on our knees to pray. Lord, I want to keep my heart towards you. I want to keep my eyes on you. And I am to be wise in the days in which we are living in. I'm to be discerning and sober and vigilant in my walk with you. And I don't want to just get caught up in so many things that can weigh me down spiritually. The cares of life even. Because we all have cares of life. Children that we raise, work and jobs that we have, businesses that we run, things that, that come into our lives. And it can become very busy. But I don't want to be weighed down where I become spiritually dull rather than having that daily joy and awe that I am a son, a daughter of the living God. And as Paul would declare in the book of Philippians that I'm a citizen of heaven and I belong to a kingdom that's going to be established forever. So let's begin to look at this prayer in Daniel chapter 9. As Daniel is praying, verse 4, we begin reading. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. So Daniel begins his prayer by recognizing that our God is great and awesome, 
Our God is the creator. He created everything. He spoke and it came into existence. I think about the recent pictures that have come to us by the newest telescope that they sent out. Some of you have seen those pictures. Aren't they amazing? Of the different galaxies and looking out into the far reaches of the galaxy. A couple of weeks ago, I was up in Wyoming and, and looking at the stars at night. And many of you, you've been up in the mountains, you've been camping, you, you've gotten away from the city and you look out at night and you see the Milky Way galaxy. Isn't it amazing to think that the Lord spoke? And it's so true what David wrote when he was out in the wilderness looking at those same stars. And he would write that the heavens declare your glory, O Lord. It really makes us realize, Lord, you spoke. And there's not a whole lot of details in the book of Genesis in the creation account about that, that he made the stars also. That's about it. But the crowning jewel of his creation is you. And he created you. And as he created you, how he desires to save you and work in your life and declare to you he loves you. He set his love on you before the foundation of the world. And so here is God as we see the heavens declare his glory. He's awesome and he's mighty. And we know that as we look to him, that he wants to work in my life. He wants to do uh, what is best for me in eternity's perspective. And he will never leave me or forsake me. He will never leave you or forsake you. And he will complete that work which he has begun in me. He will perfect that which concerns me. And his promises are true for me. And to know that my God is able. Remember in chapter 6, that as Daniel was cast into that den of lions, and Darius was so upset, and the king of, of the Medes and the Persians, and the next morning he comes to the den of lions and he cries down, Daniel, the faithful servant of the Most High God, was he able to deliver you? And Daniel speaks and said, yes, that the Lord has delivered me from the mouths of the lions. And I want you to remember this, that our God is able. Because maybe you feel like that you're in a den of lions right now and the world is about ready to chomp on you. That our God is able. Maybe you've been waiting for a promise that the Lord has given to you. For a situation, for for him to really show himself strong on your behalf. Look to him. Lean on the promises of the Lord. Rest in his love for you because he is able, because he is mighty. And Daniel begins to confess Israel's sin. We have sinned and committed iniquity. So let's continue to look at this section of confession in verse 5, Daniel praying. And we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers, to all the people of the land. And, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face, as it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. 
O Lord, as Daniel continues praying in verse 8, to us belongs shame of face to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. And then in verse 11, yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. We've done wickedly. We've rebelled. We departed from your precepts, or that is your word, your commandments, verse 6. We didn't listen to the prophets who spoke to the leaders and to the people. That's the civil leaders, the religious leaders, uh, the, the, the people of, of God. And God, we are experiencing the consequences and the repercussions and the difficulties of this captivity because of our sin, because of our disobedience and the breaking of your covenant. Now, you might remember that as they were still in the wilderness, the book of Deuteronomy telling us this as we record it there, God made a covenant with his people. And he said to them that if you, when you go into the promised land, if you follow after me, keep my commandments and, and follow after my ways, then I'm going to bless you. I'll give you that inheritance, and I'll provide for you. I'll bless your children. Um, I'll provide the rains for you, and I will save you from your enemy. But if you forsake me, if you turn against me and worship those false gods and are disobedient, then what's going to happen is famine's going to come. There's going to be drought. Uh, you're going to find that difficulty's going to come to you. Your enemies will defeat you, and eventually you're going to go off into captivity. And as you read the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the sins of the people are described. They were worshiping idols. Uh, we read they had false worship. They were listening to the false prophets, and they were persecuting God's prophets, even as Daniel here would say that, they, that they rejected the, the ones who were sent to you. And we know that even Jesus, when he wept over Jerusalem, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the ones who the prophets were sent to you. That you ended up killing. And they would persecute the, the prophets very heavily. And they rebelled against God. And they went off into captivity. But Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, speaking of, of what they were doing, they were full of violence. They were involved in immorality. Uh, they were ripping each other off. Uh, they were, uh, the, the judges were being unjust. And they even got to the point where it got so bad with God's people that in the valley of Gehenna, that they were sacrificing their own children on the arms of those idols, burning them up to give sacrifice to those false gods. And God gave warning after warning after warning to turn back to him, but they refused. They rejected God's truth and warning. The Bible says that sin is a reproach to any nation. And I think about our nation, and even so, what we see in the church today, that we see in our culture, we see in, in even some circles of the church, and it grieves us. Just as Isaiah said that you call evil good and good evil. Immoralities embrace. We know there's the rejection of God's word. And just as it got worse and worse with God's people until they went into captivity, I also think about the days of the judges. In the days of the judges, before the kings came on the scene, that 
that generation after Joshua for 400 years, that the theme of the book of Judges, as you read it, is they did what was right in their own eyes. They, they just did what they wanted to, and they would worship the false gods. They would give in to the false gods of the Canaanites, and they would find themselves in bondage. They would cry out to the Lord. The Lord would deliver them, raising up a judge. That was a cycle that they were in for 400 years. And as you read the book of Judges, it went uh, that way, that cycle. It went from bad to worse. And, and you see what happened because of their disobedience to the Lord. I think that we see that in our own nation. It describes the theme of the book of Judges, doing what is right in their own eyes to what we see in our culture today, right? Just live any way that you want to live. Do what you want to do. It's okay, you know, if you're immoral, whatever, reject God's word. And that's why we're seeing it go from bad and it's going to go to even worse if we continue in that way. Now, a couple things about this prayer. Number one, first of all, Righteousness belongs to you, verse 7. As I said, our God is not only mighty and great and awesome, but he is perfectly righteous. He is righteous in all that he does. He is righteous in all of his works that he does. We know in the book of Revelation, when the judgments are being poured out on a Christ-rejected world, the response of the great multitude in heaven, Revelation chapter 19, and I believe that that's going to be our response as we get ready to come back with the Lord in the second coming of Jesus Christ. That the response and the cry in heaven was this, that righteous and true are your judgments. Righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. It is not going to be how come, or that was too harsh, or that wasn't fair. But rather, righteous and true are your judgments and all your decisions and all that you do. It is the response of Daniel here. He didn't say, that's not fair, that's not right, but we've sinned. We broke your covenant. And listen, it is a mature Christian that will say, righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. You may not understand, and I think all of us experience it at one time in our life, the things that are allowed to come into our lives, the trials, the loss, the difficulties. Some of you are going through some very painful times right now. And we don't understand why we're going through it. As a pastor, I get asked all the time, why, why am I experiencing this loss? Why this betrayal? Why, why am I going through this, Pastor Jeff? And I say, I don't know. I don't know. There are some days where I, t I go home and I think, what do I say? How do I pray for those who are hurting? Because I know the hurt is very, very real. But I do know this, that when we are confronted with those things that we don't understand, we can fall back on the things that we do. And that the Lord is with us. And his word is still true. And that we can trust him in those times to bring the comfort and the strength and the wisdom that we need. And I'm so sorry for your pain or your confusion or your loss, for your grief, because it's a long journey at times. But I do know this, that the Lord loves you, and he wants to still work in your life. And he says to you, 
I know my thoughts towards you, that they are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Secondly, in this prayer, notice throughout this prayer, I think this is worth considering, that he says, we have sinned, we have done wickedly, we have broke your covenant. It's that way throughout this prayer, and in that, Daniel here is identifying with the people of God. As we have studied Daniel, the the narrative of Daniel in the first six chapters, we have seen that he was truly committed to God all throughout his life. From the time that he was taken as a young teenager, 14, 15 years of age, he was determined not to defile himself, and he lived for the Lord. He lived in godliness. There's no record of Daniel sinning. Now, we know that he was a sinner because we're all sinners. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only one who has lived on this earth a perfect life is the God-man, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross and died for you and for me. But that's why Jesus came, because the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. And as we know that Daniel, even though there's no record of him sinning, he was a sinner. Matter of fact, in verse 20, it's recorded that he was confessing his sins. I think about, I was reading about Amy Carmichael. Some of you perhaps have read about her. And she was a great missionary in India for 55 years and had an orphanage. And after her death, when they were writing her autobiography, that they were interviewing some of the, the they were young ladies at that time um, that had grown up. But they were, were kids in the orphanage, these girls. And they were interviewing them about Amy Carmichael. And one of the questions that was asked to them is, did Amy Carmichael sin? And they thought about it, and they said, well, of course she sinned. Everyone's a sinner. But they said this, we never saw her sin. And that really convicted me. It, It spoke to me. Daniel was one that lived a godly life. And he doesn't have the mindset here in this prayer as he's towards the end of his life that I'm here because of all you guys. You guys blew it. If you were like me, everything would be okay. And I would understand if he had those, those kinds of thoughts. But Daniel here shows real connection with his people. We have sinned. He identifies with them. He grieves over their sin. When I first became a Christian, when I first got into ministry 30 years ago, I, I would think for the first several years of my ministry, you know, those people over there, you know, that church, they don't do things the way I do it. Look what they're doing. They're weird. They're apostate. They're this. They're that. And we are to be wise and discerning and to warn against that which is false, of course. But over the years, I've learned to grieve over what we see going on in the church, to grieve what's going on in our nation, Because I belong to the church. I love this nation. There is a connection that is there, a linkage that is there. And that's why we feel the things that we do. There's there's a grieving over the sins of our nation, what we see going on in the church. And even though Daniel didn't worship idols, he wasn't immoral. But he says, we, we have. That speaks to me. And now my prayers are a bit different. It's, Lord, we as a nation that we've sinned. The church, Lord, because I belong to the church, so do you. The church, Lord, is getting further away. The church universal is what I'm speaking of. 
Lord, what I see going on in the church today in our nation, we need revival. There's a connection that's there. And the things that we see going on, it affects all of us. When we see the rebellion and disobedience to what God's word has to say. We continue reading in this prayer in verse 12 now. That as he confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us. By bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And then verse 15. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, as it is this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. When God was warning his people to turn from their idol worship and turn back to him, Oftentimes he would remind them that I've taken you out of Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt into the promised land. I blessed you. I've given you your inheritance. But they forgot about that. Matter of fact, that first generation that came out of Egypt into the wilderness because of their disobedience and because of their unbelief that they were out there for 40 years. God wanted to bring them into the promised land, but yet they did lap after lap after lap around Mount Sinai. The greatest graveyard in the history of mankind out there in the Sinai. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They were ready to stone Moses. Moses, why would you bring us out here? Moses, we're going to die out here. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back where we had the food we wanted, the places that we stayed. But you see, as they were thinking about that, they had forgotten about the slavery that they were under. They forgot about the, the Egyptian taskmasters and their whips on their backs and baking and making bricks in the hot, blistering sun. They forgot all about that. Never forget that God has brought you out of Egypt, Egypt, a picture of the world. He's brought you out of the slavery and bondage of the world. It is Peter, that would say that he's brought us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. I had a call. I was talking to a lady on the radio this week, and she said, I'm a new Christian. And she said that I've been brought out of the darkness into his light. I thought, that's so wonderful. That is so true. So if he's brought you out of the light, out of the darkness into his marvelous light, why would you want to go back to the darkness? We're free from the bondage and the slavery of the world. And because of their sin, they found themselves once again in bondage. And that's what sin does. You play around, you continue with sin and carnality, it will enslave you and put you in bondage. Don't give in to the deception of the enemy. The enemy who says, go back to Egypt, go back to the old hangouts, go back to the, the old gang, you know, all the kickbacks, but he doesn't remind you the slavery and the bondage and the pain that you are in what the world brings to you eventually, what the world is going to tell you to do. Just do what you want to do. Live the way you want to. Be free and live for yourself. Live for Jesus. Walk with him. 
And you will truly then be free. Because Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You'll experience that abundant life that he has for you. Doesn't mean that every day is going to be rainbows and lollipops. You know, it doesn't mean that you won't have any trials or difficulties, but it means that the Lord is going to work in you and give you a joy inexpressible and a peace that passes understanding. That's the work that he wants to do. And for you to discover that he is true, to look to him. Jesus wants to set you free from the bondage of the world, free you from being enslaved by the world and the enemy Satan. I think about, as Daniel here has been talking about, the future world leader, the little horn of chapter 7, the man of sin, the, the one that John uniquely calls in his epistle, the Antichrist, that will be a world leader. And he's going to deceive through cunning schemes. He's going to be a great orator. He, he's going to deceive, as Paul writes it, to the church at Thessalonica, through lying signs and wonders. He's going to deceive the whole world, and the whole world's going to embrace him. But then eventually he's going to be in bondage to his destruction as he's going to bring the world to a devastating end as the Lord is going to do away with him and come back and then establish his kingdom. But let's finish this prayer this morning. In verse 16, we read, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline, incline your ear to hear. Open your eyes and see your desolations in a city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you. Take note, because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, and for your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel is pouring out his heart to God as he's interceding for God's people. And he's praying for God's mercy to be extended to them. Help us come into that place of confession. Confession means agreement. That's the definition. 1 John 1, 9, a lot of us know it. If we sin, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. But that word confession literally means to be in agreement. I am in agreement with you, Lord, that this is sin. This is wrong. I have sinned against you. I confess that. I'm not going to excuse it. I'm not going to dismiss it. I'm not going to ignore it. And what they were doing is they were making excuses. They were even blaming their fathers, you know, what they had done. We're going through this because of our, our fathers, Ezekiel says. All that, and man has been doing that and continues to do that since the beginning of time. Adam, where are you, Adam, as Adam hid from God? Where are you, Adam? Did you eat of that forbidden fruit I told you not to? Where are you, Adam? And what was the response to Adam? It's that wife you gave me, that woman you gave me, Lord. And he blamed her, but yet he was held responsible. So oftentimes that we like to blame, and I sin because of them and because of that, rather than just saying, Lord, I sinned against you. 
And Lord, I confess it. Forgive me. Lord, hear us is what he's praying. Lord, forgive us. Act for us. Be merciful to us. And then as I mentioned here in verse 18 to note, we approach God not on our goodness, our righteousness. I'm such a wonderful, deserving person. I approach because of your grace, the unmerited favor of God, and because of your mercy, and because of your love. There are people that we know that they think that they deserve heaven or God's blessing because here's my righteousness, Lord. Here's my goodness, Lord. Rather than on the mercy and grace of our Lord. Because all of our righteousness, there is filthy rags before the Lord. James chapter 5, verse 11 tells us that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 tells us that Jesus is our merciful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. We don't have a spirit of fear, but as adopted sons and daughters crying out, Abba, Father. But we come based on his mercy, his grace, our faith in Jesus Christ, in his son, not because I deserve it or coming in my own righteousness. But the other side of the spectrum is this. Because I talk with Christians all the time. That they feel like I can't come to you, Lord. I've struggled in this area. I have sinned. And they are so condemned, I can't come to Christ. I've lost my relationship with God. I've lost my salvation. I don't even know if I was even saved. That's what the enemy brings confusion because he's the accuser of the brethren who accuses us day and night. And I want to remind you of what Romans chapter 8 declares to you and to me who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation. There is now, now this morning, today, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And condemnation comes from the enemy because he wants to push you away from the Lord. He wants to condemn you. God doesn't love you. He won't forgive you. You're such a disappointment to God. You're a spiritual waste. Why do you even pray? Don't read your Bible. Don't go to church. He, he's done with you. It's like Peter who left Caiaphas' courtyard after he had denied the Lord. He thought he had severed his relationship with the Lord forever, and he went away weeping bitterly and, and sobbing deep within his soul. And some of you are sobbing here today because you're thinking the Lord must be just through with me. He's not done with you. Now, conviction comes from the Lord to bring you to him. It's a good thing. So you can re confess, repent, and be forgiven and restore that fellowship, that closeness with the Lord once again. And he invites you to do that. And if there is sin in your life, confess it. Repent. Come to him based on the mercy of God and ask him for help. Lord, help me. Give me the power to work in my life, to live the way that you want me to, to be free from this. As we look at this, finishing this prayer, I touched on this before, but Daniel praying for revival for the nation. He wants to see revival. I want to see revival in me, in, in this church, in this nation, but I know that before there is revival, listen, there needs to be repentance. There needs to become a brokenness before the Lord. The children of Israel, they defeat Jericho. The walls come down. 
Joshua, your next battle is going to be against Ai up north. Just Ai means small, just this little village. So he sends some guys up there to defeat Ai, and they come back defeated. And, and Joshua cries out to the Lord, Lord, you just brought us into the promised land to die here in the promised land, to be defeated. And the Lord said, listen, Joshua, quit your sniveling, quit your crying. There's sin in the camp. You need to deal with it. And, of course, Joshua would, as you read the book of Joshua. And there was sin in the camp. And as he dealt with it, and as the, 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 the people of Israel dealt with it, then there was victory. You want victory in your spiritual life. Is there sin going on? Is there carnality? Is the Lord dealing with you? Then confess it and repent. And that needs to take place before there's revival. And I pray that we would understand that we can come to him. And that we can confess it and ask God for help. Because why? Daniel just told us. Because he's merciful. And he's compassionate. And he wants to work in your life and drawing you to him. As we go to prayer, if there's anything that's going on in your life, you know the Lord's been dealing with you. Will you confess it and ask God for help? To say, Lord, I know I need to turn from this. Not excuses, not dismissing it, not ignoring it. But Lord, here it is. Because he sees it anyway. And Lord, I want revival in my heart as we come to you, Lord. And we ask for that. We ask that, Lord, that as we study this, we learn so much what it means for us. There's something for us to take away. And that is, Lord, that you desire to work in our hearts. You are merciful. You are good. And Lord, you desire for your people to come. And as we confess, being in agreement, that Lord, what I've done is wrong, or this attitude, this action, your word declares it very clearly. And whatever it is right now, just give it to him, confess it. That I've done wrong, Lord. And I know that your commandments are an expression of your love to me. They're not to be burdensome. But that I might be free, close to you, to experience that abundant life. And your ways are right. And you are righteous and true in all that you do. And I thank you that we can come as your children, not feeling condemned, but the conviction and the chastening is because you love us desire for us to come to you, call out to you. You want what's best for us, Lord. And it's not continuing in doing wrong or sin or carnality or that which is unpleasing, but Lord, to trust you and to look to you. Father, I just pray if there's anyone here in this building or watching online or later on the radio that you have not made a commitment to Jesus Christ for salvation. He is your salvation. There is none other. No one else came and died for your sins and rose again from the grave. Only Jesus, the God-man, the one who lived a perfect life. God in the person of Jesus Christ came, and he came for a reason, to die for your sins because of his love for you. And on that cross, he cried out, It is finished. That I've done the work. I paid the price. Come to me. 
surrender to me and call out to me for forgiveness of sin. For me to sit upon the throne of your heart. And the invitation is to come for salvation, forgiveness of sin, and right relationship with the Father and the hope of eternal life. It's all found in Jesus, only in Jesus. It is Christ alone, it is faith alone. Will you come right now, sincerely where you are? You can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me, a sinner, forgive me. And I believe you're alive, speaking to my heart. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for bringing me into the family of God, forgiving me for the hope of eternal life. And I do want to walk with you and know you. Lord, I thank you for this new beginning in Jesus' name. And for all of us, as we do go out of this place to be light to others, not to go back to the darkness, but to walk with you and know you, to grow in your word, in your mercy and grace. We thank you. You are so merciful and gracious to us. And we pray for revival in our own hearts and in this church, in our community, and in this nation. So we commit it all to you, Lord, being wise and discerning of the days in which we are in. So we thank you for this morning. I pray you bless everyone here as we go our way. And all of God's people said, Amen.